The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Podcast, presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Welcome to this week's Home Cinema Podcast. Coming up, we've got the latest AV news. I bring you behind-the-scenes details of the gadgets in my life this week. And Phil Hinton hosts another Home Cinema Roundtable discussion. This week's, this week's Audiovisual News. More battles over Freeview HD. The high-def disc war is far from over. Blu-ray supporter Samsung to release an HD DVD drive. High-end AV is A-OK. And Hi-Fi from an iPod. Surely not. We start this week's news with more on the Freeview HD saga. It has emerged that Sony Director of Public Affairs, Bill Vesti, has argued that a third of the digital spectrum should and could be given over to public service broadcasters for high-definition transmissions at the completion of the digital switchover. Speaking at a Westminster e-forum seminar, he indicated that Ofcom's desire to auction off the entire spectrum will lead to Freeview becoming a second-class broadcasting platform. Mr Vesti claimed that he believed that Ofcom, or the government, should take a strategic view of public service broadcasting and decide what is right for the UK. He stated that British broadcasting must remain competitive in a global high-definition marketplace and the government must accept and understand its responsibility to provide the best broadcast infrastructure to UK citizens. However, it would appear that the government is trying to wash its hands of the argument. In a recent reply to over 5,000 petitioners on the recent HD for All campaign, it stated that like Ofcom, the government believes that technology-neutral auctions offer the most effective way of allocating spectrum. Spectrum management is now a matter for Ofcom. So there you have it. It would appear that the government couldn't care less about Freeview HD and just wants the biggest sum of money back it can get for the spectrum. Ironically, there will also be a sell-off of the VHS signal in the UK, which will mean that radio microphone technology will be redundant. Radio mics are used widely at major events and in TV production. Sometimes up to 300 separate frequencies can be used to produce events like the upcoming Olympics in 2012. If this spectrum is also sold off, with no holdback for such technology, we'll see pop concerts, TV productions and major events all having to use hard-wired microphones again, with wires all over the joint. Broadcasters are already stating that in today's TV production world, it will be impossible to work without radio mics. So we're not just going to be a second-rate SD-watching nation, but we're also going back 20 years in terms of production technology, thanks to the greedy nature of sell-offs that has nothing to do with the public's best interest and everything to do with putting more money in the coffers of the Treasury. Now that we've got our little rant out of the way, it's time to move on with news that the current HD disc format war is far from over. Speaking at the recent Display Search flat panel conference, Paramount consultant Vito Mandato said some studio chiefs have claimed to have won, but quite honestly, the war continues. Mandato gave an industry presentation that predicted both formats will end the year in a dead heat, each with a population of 1.7 million users. 
Mandato suggested that only 22% of PS3 owners will transpire to be regular Blu-ray movie buyers, giving an active BD population of 1.2 million consoles. This will be supported by sales of 500,000 dedicated BD players. Conversely, he predicts that the HD DVD camp will be able to call on 1.2 million dedicated decks and 500,000 Xbox 360 HD DVD drives. The latest Nielsen data concludes that sales of Blu-ray movies accounted for more than 60% of the HD packaged media market during January and are being attributed solely to the steady rollout of the PlayStation 3 games console. Meanwhile, it looks like Samsung, an ardent Blu-ray supporter, may actually be going neutral in its production of playback devices. The company's begun shipping its first PC HD DVD drive in its latest laptops in South Korea, with plans for a worldwide launch still under wraps. The product's appearance would suggest that the Korean giant could be about to adopt a hardware-neutral position in the HD DVD versus Blu-ray battle. Its Korean rival LG has already taken this route with the launch of the so-called Super Multi Blue combination HD DVD Blu-ray player. Now, have you ever been at a high-end AV shop or a trade show and seen the slick operation of a projector lift and wondered if you would ever be able to have such a thing yourself? The idea is that you build a holding area in your loft, attach a lift system and sit your digital projector in the lift. When you want to watch a film, the unit comes down out of the ceiling and when it's finished, it disappears again into the loft, leaving no sign of an ugly projector on the ceiling. Usually the toys of the very rich and famous, BMAX's new consumer projector lift is available at an amazing £680. The DIY unit comes complete with IR remote, cable trays, powerful motors, a 12 volt trigger and key switches. And with just one press of a remote button, you can have the lift and your electric screen descend and retract at the same time. For more information, please visit www.bmax.co.uk. That's B-E-A-M-A-X. And finally this week, if it's high-end hi-fi for your iPod that gets you going, then Arcam have just the ticket for you. Released now is the Arcam iPod Dock, which uses high-end hi-fi components to connect your player to your system. During research for the unit, the company discovered that playing the iPod from the battery improved the sound quality greatly. With this in mind, and the fact that other such docking devices overcharge the battery, causing long-term damage to the cell, Arcam have developed a docking system with charge-on and charge-off settings, which extend battery life. It also recommends that you do most of your critical listening from battery power, as it dramatically improves the sound quality once separated from the mains. Arcam's iPod dock will set you back just £130. Who said we'd never use the words hi-fi and iPod together? For up-to-the-minute AV discussion and hardware reviews, visit avforums.com. As regular listeners to the podcast will know, I often give you a little insight into whatever I've been up to in my world of gadget journalism. And if you're particularly perceptive, you may well know that um, I'm not using my standard high-quality microphone this week. I'm actually using the inbuilt microphone on my MacBook. Uh, that's because I'm stowed away in a, uh, a hired apartment uh, in Birmingham. It's a very plush place, actually. It looks a little bit uh, Miami Vice, except obviously uh, the Birmingham Vista 
isn't quite Miami. But um, I'm away filming for the Gadget Show and I don't have a microphone, so I'm, I'm doing the, uh, the kind of old-school podcast thing and using the inbuilt mic. So apologies for the quality. But then after all, isn't that what podcasting is about? Keeping it real. So what have I been doing? Well, I've been filming rugged camcorders. So um, that's been quite interesting. Susie Perry and I were put under duress in more ways than one uh, in an attempt to test uh, the most rugged, uh, reliable um, and pocket-sized camcorders on the market. You'll be able to find details of uh, the exact brands that we were testing uh, on the Gadget Show website. That's uh, 5.tv forward slash Gadget Show. That should be up in a couple of weeks because you're getting this hot off the presses. So you'll have to wait to find the exact brands and model numbers. But for the time being, uh, I'll just tell you that um, the Samsung device did uh, particularly well. They're all solid state. They all use SD cards to record onto. The Samsung actually has a, a memory as well, a 2 gig memory, I believe, in addition to whatever removable media you put in there. And what's interesting about using solid state recording media is that uh, the cameras can be very, very small and hopefully very, very rugged. I mean, we did all kinds of amazing stuff to them. We put them in fire. Uh, we put them into water. I'm not going to tell you how. Uh, it's, it's really worth watching. But to you know, take it from me, we really, we really pushed them to the ends of their ability. And the thing I would say is that there is now almost a sub-genre of pocket-sized durable camcorders that you know anyone that's, that's ever had an idea to whack one on the front of a mountain bike or skateboard or on the front of their car or maybe on a helmet during a skydiving trip or maybe even underwater you know anyone that's ever thought about doing that really the time is now these things are only a few hundred quid and um, because of the solid state nature of them they they're able to manufacture these things very inexpensively and to make them as solid as a brick which obviously led of course to um, some ridiculous testing in the gadget show you'll know that we you know we've blown hundreds of things up over the course of the last six series and um you know the test of these camcorders was no exception it's always difficult for me to talk about the gadget show which do- occupies my life when we're filming for it uh, without giving too much away because obviously we spend a lot of money and put a lot of time into creating some uh, memorable television so that's why i'm being a little bit cagey about exactly what devices we used and which came out especially well all i'll say is you must watch it it's well worth a watch. For those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, the Gadget Show, it goes out on, on 5 every Monday at 7.15. And I believe there is a Saturday morning repeat, although I'm not sure what time it is. For more info, 5.tv forward slash Gadget Show. Or you can also check out my blog, that's jasonbradbury.com. In the morning, I'm up at the crack of dawn to test uh, MP3 DJing equipment. So that should be lots of fun. Anyway, back to today's podcast. The highest definition. Definition. This is the AV Podcast. This week's roundtable discussion, hosted by Phil Hinton. So it's time for another roundtable discussion on the Home Cinema Podcast. And this week we thought it'd be a good idea to introduce you quite thoroughly to the team and where we've all come from in terms of home cinema. Um, we're all enthusiasts here and the point of the, the round tables, hopefully over the next few months is for you guys to listen in and hopefully we can impart some knowledge that we know, we can answer some of your questions and even raise a few questions for you to discuss on the forums. So for this week, the panel are Stuart Wright, who's the forum owner and home cinema enthusiast. Hello, Stuart. Ahoy, hoy. We also have uh, Robert Toomey, who's new to the podcast this week. Uh, he's a home cinema enthusiast who likes the sound side a bit more than the video. Hello, Robert. Hello there. Uh, we also have John Carlo. 
another enthusiast, forum moderator, and who's into sound and his vision. Hello, John. Hello there. And wrapping it up this week is our resident podcaster, Seth Gecko. Hello, Seth. Hi there, Phil. So to kick us off this week, who wants to come in with their first experiences of surround sound? John. Well, I mean, my first surround sound system was uh, originally ProLogic, so that was my real first experience of it. And um, VCR was the, at the time then, um, the king of video as such. And um, my first system was very, very basic. It was a TV um, with uh, obviously built-in surround sound. I think it was about 93, 94. Um, maybe a little bit after that, but yeah, God, I mean that was that was going back, and from now from then on, it's sort of grown. It's got more and bigger and bigger, and more expensive over the years. But yeah, it's definitely uh, from the beginning it was good, and it just got better. So, John, what was your actual first experience of surround sound? Then was it at the home when you'd bought your kit, or or where did you have it first? Well, I mean, obviously, going back through the years, it was Star Wars. I think I think that was the first stereo production of uh, going to the cinema. But my first actual experience um, over the years, well, or should I say the beginning, was, uh, a, you know, my own setup um, because I'd heard it in a shop. I can't remember exactly which one it was. It wasn't particularly brilliant, but it sort of got me into it at the time. Um, and it was a TV setup, but ProLogic, VCR. Um, and it was impressive compared to the normal stereo sound that you used to hear. You actually had some ambience um, into, you know, in the effects. No real bass, but obviously there was ambience in surround sound. Um, so it sort of made it more immersive and um, more fun, more fun to watch a film. Um, and that was that was the main that was the main draw into it. Um, it was probably about '93, '94, I would say, um, that that first happened, and it was ProLogic. Um, that got me started, and um, it's gone onwards from there. So, John, what was your background before then? Were you a hi-fi enthusiast or into live music or mm. anything like that? Yeah, I, I mean, I always like hi-fi. Um, always like music. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I liked Prince when I was a lot younger. <laughs> I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but at the time I did. And my music was, uh, I used to like it loud. I had a Bose system many, many years ago. And uh, to me at that time was really good, and also a Jamo system, and then film started coming in, um, so it sort of integrated, and music and sound was, uh, uh, and movies sort of came together, and that was where I sort of tried it, and um, you know it's just it's just gone on. I guess a lot of people kind of go along the same path in getting into into home cinema. Stuart, you were uh, a band drummer in your uh, younger days. How did you get into the whole home cinema thing? Yeah, I was banned from a lot of places. Um, no, uh, yeah, I used to play in a rock band, which has had a seriously detrimental effect on my hearing. Uh, of course, you know, I used to love music, although, of course, a lot of people wouldn't consider rock to be music, but I still, uh, still uh, only really like rock uh, and a few movie soundtracks. And uh, but uh, I had got a completely rubbish system at home, of course. Uh, typical musician. Uh, not very good musician, had absolutely no money. So um, uh, <clears throat> I was going on holiday, actually, and, and picked up a copy of uh, What Hi-Fi and had a read of that, and it was talking about home cinema and all that kind of stuff. And uh, much to the annoyance of my girlfriend at the time, uh, I spent the whole holiday pondering about what speakers I should buy when I got home, and pretty much straight away, as soon as I did, uh, booked a demo at Richard Sounds in Birmingham. And uh, the first time I'd experienced surround sound where I was listening to I mean I'm probably 
experienced it in the cinema a few times, uh, but not really kind of paid much attention to it. But uh, in this Richard Sounds demo, we, we uh, had Jurassic Park on Laserdisc. I think it was Laserdisc, that or VHS in ProLogic, and uh, projected with a subwoofer. And man, it blew me away. I thought, oh, this is it. I've got to get a home cinema like this. And my life's been downhill ever since. <laughs> it is an expensive hobby to get into. Robert, were you much the same? Did you come from a, a music background or a film background in a home cinema? Um, I th- mostly music. I used to watch a lot of films as well when I was younger. Like when they came on the TV, we had a V2000, the Philips machine, the one where you turn the videotape over to watch the other side. And we used to rent films out of that. Uh, unfortunately, that format died along with Beta, so we stuck with that machine oh, for about eight, nine, ten years, something like that. VHS slowly took over and ProLogic came out, but all this time I'd ignored it. We had the TV downstairs where I watched stuff. In my room I had little twin cassette tape decks moved up to a uh, Hitachi Superwoofer. You know, I don't remember the one with the four speakers along the front. Um, and eventually, one day, went round a friend's house. Uh, he's a bit of a wheeling dealer. And he picked up, a, I think it was a Technics or a Kenwood uh, ProLogic amp. And he bought just got loads of speakers as well from the guy he got it from. So he was trying to set it up. He had no clue what he was doing. I knew how to set up normal hi-fi, so I said, I'll have a go. We set it up and, you know, put a film in and sat there waiting for this, you know, massive experience that I'd heard from, like, reading what hi-fis and other magazines and stuff. And we were like, wow, the sound's out the front speakers. What are the rest of the speakers doing? Nothing. <laughs> so we checked all the wiring and everything, and to be quite honest, was completely underwhelmed by it all. Now, I don't know what it was, if the amp was faulty or something like that, but it just wasn't what, you know, everything built up to. Um, at that point, went out, uh, got a Cambridge A5 stereo amp, got struck by lightning. <laughs> so, got the insurance for it. <laughs> went into Richard Sounds and said, uh, insurance is to replace it, but can I pay extra and get a, a surround amp? I said, yeah. So I picked up a cheap Sherwood, um, I can't remember which model it was now, 6106, I think. Uh, Dolby Digital and DTS. So took that home. Forgot I only had two speakers I could wire into it. So sat with stereo for a while. Got some more money together. Went back and got a pair of rear speakers. Um, eventually got a, a proper centre speaker for it. I mean mismatched stuff. Gay or Mission Northdale. But ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, literally. And from that point, I thought this is going to get better. And well, <laughs> a good many thousand pounds later, I'm sitting here with my monitor audios and my Denon and all my bits and pieces and just. Oh, just heaven. Every night, watch film, or even listen to music. I've got the latest um, Gorillaz DVD. Wait to put that in later on at some point. Robert, it's interesting that you mentioned that you got a Sherwood. Was, yep. it, the, was it a Sherwood Newcastle? No, uh, no, it was the 6106R. It was, um, unfortunately, it was one of their cheaper ones. Yeah, it's just, uh, uh, the name rang a bell because that was my first Dolby Digital DTS amp, was the Sherwood. Mm. And I, I just remember that, that around about that time, Sherwood were doing quite, you know, the kind of budget uh, Dolby Digital amplifiers, and I think quite a few people went out and bought those. Yeah. And my, no. mine, mine was great for years. It ran very hot. Oh, did it? I didn't find too much problem with heat on my one. Um, might have been speakers I were running weren't that demanding, possibly, I don't know. But the, um, no, the Sherwood's still going. I mean, that's, uh, hold on, five, six, 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 hold on. Six, seven years, no, seven years old, I think, six years old. It, at CES, they also, um, under the Newcastle brand, have just released... Uh, the first amplifier with DTS, Master Audio, and 2HD as well, so they're one of the first to come out with that. That's so, right, um, yeah, I heard about that. 
So yeah, they seem they seem to be a, a, a budget aimed brand, but they, they certainly try and keep up with the technology and so on. And that Sherwood was a very very popular amplifier back in the day, back oh, in the no, uh, early mid nineties. Uh, moving on to Seth. Seth, how did you get into the game then? Uh, I have to be honest, I can't remember the the sequence of events correctly, um, so you'll have to indulge me that I might have got it completely round uh, the wrong way. I, I used to work in a computer shop, and I, I, I was basically a, a, an avid movie nut, and one of the regular customers came in, <laughs> ran a sex shop, and we used to fix his machine quite uh, frequently and it got to the point that we would actually do it in our own time uh, of a weekend um, things like that and he sort of ended up being to a degree at his beck and call but on the positive side he did tend to look after you really well Um, and myself and one of my colleagues were were chatting um, about movies in general and sort of one of the first things I said was I'd really love a laser disc system you know it's just it was just one of those things that everyone had VHS and was happy with it but I wanted laser disc I wanted the better one you know um, and we'd been working on his machine and then about two weeks later he came in and said they've got something in the boot for you and it's like okay cool what if, sort of fearing the worst that it was something that was inflatable with realistic a rampant, rampant um, rabbit uh, sorry? A rampant rabbit? They weren't invented at the time, apparently, Mr. Hinton. <laughs> and he brought in um, the Pioneer CLD-315, which was the, um, the the English laser disc that you actually manually had to take the disc out and flip over. But I didn't care about that. It was it was a laser disc player. You know, it was the closest I'd got to actually realising one of these things that I really wanted. So uh, it was like, OK, what's it going to cost me? Nothing, it's yours sort of, you know, they're great, but I've got no surround, and it really needs surround. It, it sounds sort of lifeless coming from a, a TV, even though it's in stereo. And, uh, as a memory serves, um, he basically said, you know, here's 150 quid, um, go and get something. And I went all the way up to Comet, and they had, um, one of these surround sound in a box type deals. Uh, and we're going back a long time here. It was ProLogic um, with uh, five speakers, no subwoofer, just for, just the five speakers. Um, and basically got it home, set it up, absolutely zero calibration, um, but couldn't care. I was happy as a pig in the proverbial. I had surround, uh, even though it's ProLogic. Um, and then it it kind of snowballed from that about six months later. Um, I bought a Yamaha amp that was Dolby Digital because it was then the, so the laser discs could handle AC3, um, and all the laser discs I was buying were American, so I wanted AC3. Um, so I basically got this Yamaha amp that had the the coaxial AC3 connector and just plugged it straight in, um, and that was like wow. Even without a subwoofer, yet again, it was like I don't care. Never owned a Sherwood amp, unlike everybody else that seems to. <laughs> I went from I went from the Yamaha, and uh, I then got um, oh god, it was a Sony. Seth, you're gonna you're gonna think I'm a, I'm a real nigger here, but my first amp, ProLogic amp, was a Yamaha, which I then sold to get the Sherwood. Which Yamaha was it? I uh, to be honest, I can't I can't really remember. I mean, we are going. Is it the back A5? In, 
No, 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 it wasn't anything like that. It had, it was something like an, uh, yes, uh, I'm trying desperately to remember. It would be something like an RDS 625. It was, it, I mean, we're going back to, crikey. Uh, yeah, during the war. Um, <laughs> no, we're probably actually going 93, 94. It was a, a long, long time ago. Back. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, in a galaxy far, far away. So was it music or film that got you into this then, Seth? That would be, it would definitely be the movies that got me into that setup. Okay then. Well, very quickly, I'll go. I'll go through how I got into it. Um, as a DJ uh, for about ten years, I hung up uh, the microphone in '93. I actually walked into a Sound and Vision store just off chance, saw Laserdisc, thought it was absolutely brilliant. Ended up buying Laserdisc and a big TV the same day. Um, it sort of grew from there. Does anybody remember Bill Hutchinson Sound and Vision from a few years ago? Anybody? No. No. Where were they? Where they, were they? Up north? They were up north. They had uh, a store in Newcastle, a store in Edinburgh. Um, they had one in Leeds and, and one in Manchester. And basically, the first time I heard a subwoofer was in the Edinburgh store. It was a rail storm, so I bought that as soon as I heard it. Um, and it just sort of grew from there. So I, I started with Laserdisc. Um, I started with a 1750, CLD 1750, which was a manual flip the disc over. Um, back in 93, 95, 96, upgraded to a Yamaha 3090, which was the first Dolby digital amplifier. Bought B&W speakers and um, bought a 925 laser player. And that was me till about 98. Then I gave the whole home cinema thing up for a couple of years. And I got back into it um, around about 2001 and bought a Yamaha A2, some Kef Cresters and a widescreen TV. And it's sort of gone from there, really. So that's the panel's history in getting into surround sound. So, um, John, is it sound or vision for you? And were you ever a Laserdisc owner? It's funny, because I listen to, obviously, everyone's, uh, what their setups or how they got into it. And Laserdisc was, um, I very, very nearly got into it, but I sort of waited. I, I, I'm, I know Stuart mentioned um, a demo of uh, Jurassic Park, and several of my friends... Um, including myself, I think, well, not me personally, but my friends had listened to the Jurassic Park demo with a laser disc, and uh, I know that was one of the big wows, um, and the surround sound, the rain coming down, um, which was their big pull-in. But to be honest with you, I waited for DVD, um, and from 96, 97, I think, when it was released in, in the US, I imported my first DVD player. So it was sort of just nearly after I was just about to purchase a laser disc and they said no hold on and I actually got the DVD player and from then on the sound has really sort of since I got the DVD um, it sort of grew from there Yamaha amp, Sony amp, um, Pioneer amps it's just got bigger and bigger and now I'm running with a full M&K setup um, and a Z9 um, high and integrated but yeah it's sort of laser disc was there but I sort of t- took the jump and went just to DVD from VCR, you know, VHS. The, the, it's it, it's interesting that you said uh, the sound from DVD because Laserdisc, uh, in my opinion, um, <coughs> and this is my opinion, you had do- the first Dolby digital disc and you also had the first DTS discs. And because it was an analog um, standard, I always thought that Laserdisc, when I moved over to DVD, I was so disappointed with the sound compression. Yeah, um, I've heard laser, that. I mean, laser just is so, I know, so good. I know that that is, um, you know, and a lot of people to still actually do. I mean, I suppose in Japan they still look. Most of them do actually have still laser disc players, and people do own them. And I know that that was a big point of um, of the laser disc. But yeah, the surround sound 
thing for me started really with DVD. Um, I know that that was people's preference, and I know they, you know, a lot of the people did own them and did did actually get the DTS, for, and they were the first people to probably have them. So yeah, but I'd, I'd missed out on that in in home, should I say? So DVD was my first sort of expenditure into into big money and going forward and, and up the ladder. Can anybody remember the first Dolby Digital experience? I can remember mine vividly. I think it was like the demos that they were putting out. You know, you get the Dolby Digital demos that you hear, um, you know, the train, the, 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 the things that they used to show at the cinema. They were, they were the first things that used to sort of demo people and go, wow, that was good. But it's, then funny obviously- that. <laughs> it's funny you should say that, actually, John, because I think one of my first, I got a, um, a Laserdisc player as well. It was the Pioneer. Is it 2950? Which didn't have the AC3 socket on it. That so right. uh, me and my dad put one on it. And, um, as you I do. Actually, yeah, and, and you, you saying you, your experience was wow. Well, do you, anybody, have you seen the, the THX wow demo? Yeah, well, that, that's what I was going to come on to. Um, ah, yeah, I have got that. I've still got that on Laserdisc and uh, still got the 2950 going rusty down the garage. And I think that was one of my first experiences of, of, uh, of Dolby Digital. And it's, it's one of those moments that sticks, that's, doesn't you? It stick with, yeah. it sticks with you. It's actually so moving because, I mean, I'm, I'm such a, a huge Star Wars fan. That that like even even sad though it may sound I, I'm I'm man enough to admit it that even when the um, the trailers for the episodes one two and three came on at the cinema I filled up yeah you know so the wow ex- the the wow experience I just you know so so exciting so emotionally moving I mean yeah. Phil you've been asking if you know what's more important to you the picture or the sound I don't think I don't think either are are any good without the other to be honest and and the whole experience of seeing those um those clips on the wow laser disc together with the 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 rousing music in in surround sound was just phenomenally emotionally moving yeah yeah I, I, I think you do find though that um people that get into this hobby tend to go one route or the other to start with i've I've certainly found out that some people are, are more into the sound side of things and that's where they'll put a lot of the budget uh, and other people are video minded and that's where they'll put a lot of the the money at the budget. But don't you think, though, when you get to a certain point, when you're happy with your sound, you get to a certain point where then you've you've heard other systems and you know you've got to that point that it's good enough. And it, I just, it could be expanded on maybe, but it's good enough. That's where I got to with surround sound. Got me mine's audio speakers. Got me Denon thirty-eight uh, three amp, and that's good enough for me for the surround sound. You know, it does a job. It fills the entire room. The effects panning across and backwards and forwards and spinning around. It's brilliant. I spent loads of money doing that, and I was still watching on a 28-inch widescreen CRT. <laughs> so I then thought, well, I spent the money on sound. No point spending any more. Might as well look for something a little bit bigger to watch it on. And then came the quest for a TV, or in this case, a projector. <laughs> okay, so we'll move on. Um, DVD, and I've got to admit here, I was a latecomer to the DVD party, I kind of gave up home cinema for a while, um, I moved from Scotland, got a new job, etc, and had a lot of other things on, and didn't have a place to live, so home cinema was a no-go for me, so I was very late coming into DVD, probably about 2000, 2001, uh, when I bought my first um, player, and it was a Panasonic 360, um, A360 I think it was, anybody jump in straight away, was anybody yeah. an early adopter? I got it. Just the first week it came out. Yeah, me too, more or less. <laughs> I was. Uh, I had a Toshiba 2108 
imported from the US. I think that was uh, my player as well, Seth. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Sorry. Great minds, eh? Yeah, yeah, both had it was it was the twenty one oh eight or the thirty one oh eight and it was, it was like about three hundred quid difference between the two. And the only difference was if my memory serves is it, the thirty one oh eight had the five one outputs on the back. Yeah, and it it was all the gold. It was the it was the top of the range one and obviously yeah. you've got the lower specs. It was like, like the, the top of the range there was two to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty one oh eight or thirty one oh eight, that's your lot. Yeah, that's it, mate. <laughs> I think I came in around I'm trying to remember when I came in now, it was about two thousand. So you were around about the same same sort of time period as myself. Stuart, what about you? I think my first DVD player was a Creative Labs ROM drive, which uh, went into my computer and I had home entertainment PCs for a long time actually and I think I got my first stand on DVD player. Yeah, probably in about uh, it's 2007 now. What year is it? Probably in about 2003. So I I just I I'd never used while everybody else was was like getting way into DVD. I'd never used a standalone DVD player at all until I'd been running the AV forums for about three years. So did anybody right at the beginning think that DVD was really going to take off? Because we were all used to these niche markets of laserdisc and so on. Did you did you believe it was going to take off? In I once detail. I'd seen it, once I'd seen it, yes, yeah. <laughs> definitely. It, it you was... Compared to VHS, and there there really was no comparison. A lot of people that are coming into the hobby now, and let's face it, there are an awful lot of people now coming into the hobby and starting off. And people come to the AV forums. It's exploded over the last couple of years um, in terms of visitors and so on. So, do you think that these people are lucky that are coming into the hobby now? Um, where There's we a lot are of now choice, with, isn't there? With the technology. It's a lot cheaper as well. <laughs> Cheapness and choice, you think, now? Because I quite like the fact that I came through the ranks, as it were. Everybody else here seems to have come through the ranks, as it were, when plugging in a video into the hi-fi to, to get your sound <laughs> out, and then your ProLogic amplifiers, and then moving on to hey. Laserdisc and DVD and so on. Don't you think it's a good thing, though, that it's it's a lot... Well... I mean, what you're implying there, Phil, is it's a lot simpler these days, but I don't necessarily think that it is. No, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not implying it that it's simpler at all. All, all I'm implying is that um, people coming into the hobby now are damn lucky, and I think it's we're, easier all, to we're, buy we're all damn lucky where we are at the minute well, because of the technology. Yeah. In terms of the quality, you mean? Yeah, totally. Well, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, back in the days I'm... when you had to... People complained about flipper DVDs, didn't they? <laughs> and people who'd had laser discs, well, it's just par for the course, you know. You'd have to flip it manually, or, or or you waited for your laserdisc to clunk onto the other side. But yeah, I mean, the, the quality of well, it's just like everything, isn't it? I mean, uh, the quality of your Xbox 360 and and your PS3 out this month. You know, uh, kids looking at that will take it for granted in no time. They don't know they were born. I think yeah. Well, what you're saying with reference to quality, your choice, and what we said earlier, choice is definitely there. Obviously, things are a lot cheaper. DVD players can be had in Tesco's, Safeways, wherever you want um, for really good prices. But it still takes a lot of time and effort, though, to get a good system put together. Um, and I think, obviously, the enthusiasts, where we come from and where we are at at the moment, um, it's taken us a good few years to get where we want to be. Um, and, yeah, it does take a lot of time and effort setting up, um, getting it right. And this is sometimes the journey that you take from one from one thing to another. Um, and as technology grows with it, therefore you jump on that technology. Um, you know, PS3, like you said earlier, Stuart, kids nowadays, they will be taking that for granted. Whereas, wow, it is amazing. 
you know things have things have changed so much but if you want a good system you have to you have to look at it hard and you have to listen a lot and 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 get it right is is the fact that we've got so much choice nowadays and the quality of items is so high now that it could actually confuse people coming along to the AV forums and getting into the hobby that's why they need us really i mean that's why they need people like us and, and navy forums um because there is vi advice there that people can get and it's good advice um people with a lot of knowledge and people who have doing, been doing it for some years so i mean i'm always willing to learn and i don't think i never i never at a point where i know everything and that's i think most people like that but people have had experience with the products and people have had experience with surround sound um you know you need to come to a forum to to get that knowledge um, and you, it just using the search function on, on, on AV forums is brilliant because it can bring up a lot of info that can go back over a good few years you know you're bringing up posts from people who, um, who originally started on the forums um, but yeah it's invaluable I guess that's the thing Stuart I mean I, I found myself the other night going back through what had been posted back in 2002-2001 looking for clippets information and stuff like that so uh, I mean, the whole point of this roundtable discussion tonight is just to basically introduce the talkers that we're going to have on the roundtables to people so people know where we've come from and so on and, and, and where we're heading. But Stuart, the, the forums really is the resource to use, isn't it? Without wanting to um, blow my own trumpet, um, it's the biggest online resource in the UK if you're looking to buy home cinema equipment. I think the big problem with AV forums uh, in general, and this applies to the, uh, the interweb as a whole, is the fact that there is so much information on there. Uh, how many million posts? Um, that the, the hard part is actually filtering out just what you need, the gems of information that apply to you that are most useful, and ignoring everything else. I mean, it's so easy to get kind of drawn into a discussion about this and that, and none of it's relevant. And... Um, actually, I think about it, people ask me what I do for a living and, and I say, okay, well, I run this website and it's useful for people when they want to buy a kit and they can go in and they can say, okay, well, this is my budget, these are my circumstances, this is what I want, what what screen should I buy? And and, and the, the question, are, are there too many choices these days? Yes, there's like a, there are so many different makes and model of equipment People, I think, these days just want to be told what to buy. They, so they say, oh, I've got a £1,000, my room's light all the time, um, I watch lots of soaps and stuff like that, uh, uh, my room's these dimensions, what should I get, LCD or plasma? Um, people would advise them whichever way they think maybe, or perhaps ignore that particular aspect of it what screen should I get you know what amplifier should I get what's and people just want to be told and I think um, part of that is is down to the fact that uh, people feel that they don't have the uh, necessary skill or judgment to be able to make their own mind up about what they want to buy it's more getting more difficult these days to actually get a demo because there's so many bricks and mortar shops shutting um, and uh, people are, are are quite happy to rely on other people's suggestions on what kit to buy because they don't trust their own judgment. Which um, it brings us on to a subject which we'll discuss in detail in a future podcast, I think, and that is the fact that you, demoing equipment and dealers and buying on the internet and all that kind of thing. That's certainly an area we need to look at in future episodes. So just to round up tonight, um, we've all introduced ourselves, we've all given you a little bit of a taste of where we've come from in the hobby. 
maybe you have your own story to tell and why not post it on the forums um, for people to follow and add their suggestions in as well um, but just to wrap up we're heading into the HD future both HD formats and so on lots of information out there um, a lot of people sitting on the fence it's another subject we'll come back to in a few weeks but just to round up guys um, do you think we're lucky nowadays with the quality on offer when it comes to HD Sky HD, HD DVD Blu-ray that kind of thing it's improving um, by the minute. Clearly, the audio, uh, the software that's coming out for these now, um, you know, Blu-ray and HD DVD is getting better. So yeah, it's getting exciting, and I can't wait. Sort of every every uh, month is getting better and better. So PS3 coming out next this month. Um, so yeah, it's looking good. Seth, uh, I don't think we're lucky. I think that. Um all the early adopters for the technology. So um, people who had LaserDisc were really the people that sort of pushed the DVD formats, which made that a much more mass-marketed appeal um, and replaced VHS. Um, other, other driving force between HD. They've been happy with HD, but early adopters um, are the, the driving force now with the HD market. Um, and the... Uh, manufacturers of the, this technology are aware of this um, niche um, for people to, to basically push more hardware and software out there. So I think it's a self-perpetuating market. I don't think luck has anything to do with it. I just think it's um, uh, the logical progression and it's driven by um, people, the enthusiasts such as ourselves, that want the next big thing. I, I, I don't feel so lucky at the moment, right? Because um, I want to, I've not seen... Um, Casino Royale with Dan, uh, Daniel Craig yet. Me neither. And I really would like to, but I, I don't want to buy the DVD when I know that there's a fantastic version out on Blu-ray. But I don't have a Blu-ray player. I've got a, an HD DVD drive for the Xbox 360, and I've no intention of buying a Blu-ray player yet because, well, it's expensive and I can't justify it. So I'm really annoyed now because I want to watch that movie and I want to watch it in the best quality that's available, but I'm not prepared to go out and spend 400 quid, is it, on a on a drive just to be able to just to be able to watch it. I want to be able to watch it on HD DVD. So I'm going to be I'm going to be sitting here seething now until there's a version of Casino Royale out on HD DVD, which isn't likely to happen anytime soon. So not <laughs> That, that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, well, obviously, we've got one voice that's missing tonight, and that's uh, Neil Davidson from TNW. He was unable to make it along. But hopefully within the next few podcasts and our roundtables, we'll also be able to give you some advice on calibrating your system. We talked about video last week. Hopefully next week we'll be able to talk about sound and how to set your system up properly and uh, combat some of your problems. If you have any problems relating to sound, then give us an email on help at avpodcast.co.uk and we'll read out your questions and hopefully we'll get some answers for you. So that's all we've got time for this evening. Time's running out very quickly. I just want to thank Stuart Wright, Robert Toomey, John Carlo, Seth Gecko, and this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week for some more home cinema chat. Made by enthusiasts. 
for enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. If you have any questions for our panel guests on future roundtable discussions, or you would like to find out more about the subjects we've discussed this week and ask specific questions, then please email help at avpodcast.co.uk. That's help at avpodcast.co.uk, and we will raise your questions and points in future episodes. If you have any questions regarding the calibration and setup of your system, problems with specific products, seeing artefacts which you don't understand, or any other AV-related problem, please feel free to email us and we will put the subject to the relevant experts for discussion. And if you have any ideas for subjects to cover in future roundtable discussions, send that email in to us. This is your podcast and we want you to benefit from the help available from other forum members and industry personalities we invite to discuss topics on the roundtables. That email address again is help at avpodcast.co.uk, help at avpodcast.co.uk and we look forward to hearing from you. Jason. Thanks, Phil. And that just about wraps up another home cinema podcast. Don't forget that we now produce three separate casts and you need to update all your RSS feeds to subscribe to the Home Cinema Edition as well as our Movies and Games Editions. Until next week, this is Jason Bradbury saying thanks for listening, stay subscribed and tell your friends. The AV Podcast was presented by Jason Bradbury and Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.